Good morning. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 32. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And remember our question now, kids, as you hear this next scripture. Can the bad guy ever become the good guy? This scripture comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, 
For he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Come Holy Spirit, settle in upon our hearts and our minds this morning. Open us up to the word you would have to speak into us and into our lives. Redeem these words that I offer now by your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll go one more. So Avengers Endgame, right? The superhero movie of all superhero movies. It's getting close to the $3 billion mark at the box office. It's neck and neck with Avatar. Uh, box office watchers think this weekend will probably determine whether it's the uh, greatest movie of all time or most selling or not. But here's the thing, right? This is the 21st Marvel movie. The beauty of this Avengers Endgame is that Disney got to make 20 other stories because each one of the people on the screen have their own individual movie. In superhero terms, we call those their origin story. Right? You have to know where somebody came from and how they discovered their powers so that you can understand how the whole universe of superheroes works. So today, we have our own origin story. And our hero is Saul of Tarsus. Saul spent his entire life trying his best to please God. Historians tell us that when Saul was about five years old, he moved from the city of Tarsus to Jerusalem with his family. And at a very young age, Saul was identified as a bright young student, and he was invited to study under Rabbi Gamaliel. He was born as a Jew, but his parents also had Roman citizenship. So when Saul was born, he was a Roman citizen and a Jew, a, a very unique combination in those days that showed that his family had a lot of status and a lot of privilege that came with that citizenship. Saul studied hard. Saul worked hard. Eventually, Saul became a Pharisee, the highest level of any that had studied under his rabbi. And he worked hard every day to keep himself pure. 
He spent time studying the scriptures. He learned all the laws of Moses, and he dedicated his life to it. And Saul began to look around in Jerusalem, and he noticed that a terrible heresy was taking over his brothers and sisters in the faith. Some small group of fishermen out of Galilee were running around telling people that a man was resurrected from the dead and that this man was the Son of God, the Messiah. And Saul, from all of his intense training under the rabbi, he knew there's only one true God. Saul remembered the words of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And Saul was a fervent believer. He knew what his faith was calling him to do. Saul decided that God needed him to hunt down these blasphemers, to get rid of them by whatever means were necessary. And so Saul started in his adopted hometown of Jerusalem. He found one of these Jesus followers named Stephen. And as is recorded earlier in the book of Acts, Saul watched as Stephen was stoned to death. But Saul didn't stop there. He took his job very seriously. He went to the leaders in the synagogue and got a letter allowing him to go to Damascus and find anyone who followed the way there. They weren't calling them Christians just yet. And his plan was to rid the Jewish faith of these imposters. Saul was willing to kill them if he had to. Saul was faithful, and he would get the job done for God. Saul's our hero, right? Then comes our hero's big moment. Saul's on the road to Damascus, charging into town to find these Christians and get rid of them. And all of a sudden, there's a flash of light and a voice from above. What do you think Saul was thinking at that moment? I think this is the big moment where the hero discovers their powers, right? Saul must have been expecting something like, well done, good and faithful servant. He was doing what he thought was right. But instead, instead of receiving praise from God, Saul hears this. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul asks, who are you? And the voice replies, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Right in that moment, the hero story flips. Saul came riding in on a horse with power, with authority. He was in charge, and deep down inside he knew he was right. But after this moment, this encounter with Jesus Saul is led away, stumbling and blind. He goes into the city of Damascus and doesn't eat or drink for three days. 
How can Saul possibly be the hero of our story? Maybe it's another man in our story who was trying to please God too. One of the early Christians named Ananias. Now, do you recognize this symbol? Where do you usually see it? Where do you see it? Helena, go ahead. Since you're raising your hand, I'll call on you. Where do you see it? No? I heard somebody whisper car. Go ahead and say car. Have you seen it on the back of a car before? Yes. Okay. Well, Ananias wasn't driving a car. That's not where we're going. But Ananias was a part of the early Christian movement. And in the early days, the Christians were being persecuted by the Romans, by the Jews. It was dangerous to be a Christian. It was dangerous to gather anywhere. Ananias was not strutting down the road to Damascus like Saul. He would have been sneaking around. Early Christians used this symbol to designate places where they would gather for worship. Uh, The one on the top was found in the city of Ephesus, and I'm not sure about the one on the bottom, but they're both a couple of thousand years old. They used a series of secret symbols. The fish was a popular one. Uh, In the Greek, the word there is ichthus, the word for fish, and it's actually an anagram. Uh, If you take those letters, it's, uh, let's see, Jesus Christ God's Son, Savior. And they would mark the places where they would meet for worship. And often, they would meet down in the catacombs. Uh, The safest place they could find was to go underground for worship. So Ananias is surprised when he gets a vision from God to go to Straight Street and pray for a man named Saul. Ananias knew how difficult it was to be a Christian in these early days. After the disciples meet the resurrected Jesus, and they kind of finally get their act together, they leave the upper room and they start to preach to the crowds, all of a sudden, there's a huge influx of new converts, which is wonderful, right? But in the early church, they didn't know what to do with all these new people. And in fact, one of the earliest problems they have is that they have too many widows. They don't know how to take care of all of them at once. One of the early stories in Acts is a story with some ugly racial undertones. The widows coming to the new church weren't all Jewish. And some of the disciples were afraid maybe they were just there to take advantage of this new welfare system. So, the early disciples appoint seven deacons. And one of them, the one named Stephen, ends up being stoned to death while this man Saul watches on. When Ananias gets his vision from God, he questions it. He says, are you sure? Don't you know, Lord, that Saul is one of the bad guys? He says, Lord, I have heard about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And now he has authority over us here in Damascus too. Ananias is telling God, I hate this guy. 
God, I hate this guy as much as you probably hate this guy. I'm on your side, God. Now, Ananias doesn't say it, but I could imagine he maybe thought, if Saul is weak and blind, God, if you want me to go take him out for you, now would be a good time. But God has an interesting reply. He tells Ananias, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen. And we get back to that question from children's time, don't we? Can the bad guy really become a good guy? I mean, how could you trust someone from the other side of a battle like this? How could you trust somebody from the other side? Could you trust somebody from the other political party? Could you trust somebody who cheers for the other team? Could you trust somebody who lives in the other place? Could you trust somebody who worships in that other way? Well, honestly, I don't know how Ananias did it. But in this one chapter in Acts, Ananias says one of the most profound things in the entire New Testament. Ananias has his vision from God, and he goes to Straight Street. He finds the house. He goes inside. He lays hands on this stranger, Saul of Tarsus, who was there to murder Christians. And Ananias says these two words, Brother Saul. I cannot imagine what it would take to walk into an enemy and address them as brother. And then Ananias lays hands on him and prays over him for his sight to be restored. I was remembering this week a story told by one of my seminary professors. I had the opportunity to study under Bishop Peter Story, who served uh, the Methodist Church in South Africa during the fall of apartheid. Bishop Story told us one day in class about an evening that he could recall when he and Desmond Tutu were arrested and picked up by the South Africa Special Police, one of the secret units who had incredible amounts of power and latitude. And he and Desmond Tutu were put in the back of a van, and they were driven out into the desert. And for hours and hours, the secret police questioned them about sermons they had preached, about rallies they had attended, about demonstrations they had been holding in churches throughout the city of Cape Town. And Bishop Story tells that there came a point that evening where he thought for sure that he and Desmond Tutu were each going to get a bullet and be left out in the desert. It was terrifying, this power that the secret police had over them. Although the story continues that eventually they finished their questioning 
And they brought them back to the edge of the city at dawn and dropped them in an unfamiliar neighborhood on an unknown street, left to find their way back to their families and to their churches. I remember that story, the bishop story told. And it makes uh, this next scene I want to show you particularly powerful. It comes from the movie Invictus, starring Morgan Freeman. He plays Nelson Mandela, and it's the story of the first few months of the post-apartheid regime in South Africa. Particularly, this scene is about how Nelson Mandela formed a government including blacks and whites in his administration. And this is an interaction he had with his own private security forces, his own personal bodyguards. I want you to take a look. Man, beautiful. What's this? Mr. Jason Chabalala. That's me. Am I under arrest? Captain Fader and team reporting for duty, sir. What duty? With a presidential bodyguard. We've been assigned to this office. Here are our orders. The special branch, right? You'll see that they've been signed. Well, I don't care if they are signed. So just have you, sir. You look agitated, Jason. Well, that's because there are four special branch cops in my office. Oh, what did you do? Nothing. Well, they say they are the presidential bodyguards and they have orders signed by you. Ah, yes, ah, yes. Well, uh, these men are special trained by SAS. They have lots of experience. They protected the clerk. Yes, sir, but it doesn't mean that they have to come. You asked for more men, didn't you? Yes, sir. I asked. Um... When people see me in public, they see my bodyguards. You represent me directly. The Rainbow Nation starts here. Reconciliation starts here. Reconciliation, sir. Yes, reconciliation, Jason. Comrade President, not long ago, these guys tried to kill us. Maybe even these four guys in my office tried and often succeeded. Yes, I know. Forgiveness. Can the bad guy really become the good guy? And what would it look like to live as if that were true? You know, we read this story from Acts chapter 9, and probably in your Bible, the little bold text above it, almost always calls the story Saul's conversion. But you might also think of it as Saul's calling. If Saul's being converted here, the question I have, is he being saved from something? Or is he being saved for something. Now certainly Saul is being saved from evil, uh, maybe even from the fires of hell. But did you notice in their interaction, Jesus doesn't say to Saul, there you go, now you're saved. I'll see you in heaven in a few years. Your soul is safe with me. Now Jesus instead gives him a calling. He says you're saved for something. Saul is saved to bring the Lord's name to the Gentiles, to kings, and to all of Israel. 
He is saved from something, but he's also saved for something. And so are you and I. This is a story of conversion, but it's also a story of calling. A story of being saved from something, but also a story of being saved for something. Now maybe you're thinking out there, well, what could God really use me for, right? Well, I want you to look closely at the story. Ananias, the character we read about today, he shows up once and only once in the whole Bible. He walks down to Straight Street and enters that house to say one prayer. He follows God's instructions faithfully and even proclaims Saul as his brother. And then Saul, he becomes Paul. And he writes about a third of what will become the New Testament. He plants churches all across the Middle East. That one act of reconciliation, when Ananias walks in and calls him brother, has a cascading effect that reaches thousands and thousands of people's lives. So I wonder what it is that you are being saved for today. Thanks be to God, whose grace converts enemies into friends. Thanks be to God, who converts us, but also calls us. Amen.